Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted forty days and forty nights, and afterward he was hungry. The way the Lenten season begins with the temptation of Christ, and the way the church has decided that we should always pray with this on the first Sunday, I'm convinced it's meant to be a reminder to us that Lent is just marked by a confrontation with evil. See, the enemy doesn't care about us when we're off track, when we're not living the life of Christ, when we're living a life that isn't threatening to the reign of darkness, we're typically left alone. When we start to move on track, when we start to return, when we start to turn our lives away from sin, the enemy is losing hold. And typically that's when we will notice a little bit more opposition, a little bit more spiritual agitation, a little bit more temptation, a little bit more sorrow and suffering that aren't from God. In those places, that's when we can be assured actually that temptation is a sign that things are moving in a good direction because the enemy doesn't want us to move toward the goods that we've set our hearts on. In that precise moment, that recognition, which should mark our Lent, that's the moment to cry out to Christ. So we don't get stuck fighting a battle that's not ours to fight. He fought it for us already and he won. When Christ, being God himself, went out to face the tempter, he gave to us a certain gift of revelation about how for the rest of time, we ought to confront our own temptations. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Begone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What Christ did in confronting the enemy is fascinating. The devil comes to tempt him. In one of the Gospels it says he was just tempted. In another, it says he was tempted three ways. In another, he was tempted three ways, and then every other way. Regardless of which one we read, Christ's time in the desert is marked with a confrontation of the enemy of our souls, the one who hates us, the diabolical one, the accuser. As Christ confronts the accuser, though, he gives us several really important instructions. The first is he doesn't really engage the devil very long. He just has a simple rebuke ready, and he shifts away from what the devil's tempting him toward by a reference to some biblical truth. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Or I will only worship the Lord my God. The way that Christ kind of confronts these moments of temptation is, is not to fixate on them, not to spend a lot of time engaging in dialogue and discussion with the tempter, but rather to have a ready answer, which is some revealed truth, to shift away from the temptation, stand in that truth, and then just move on. But throughout each of the three temptations that are revealed, one is a temptation to power, one is a temptation to idol worship, one is a temptation to, to force God into action, God the Father. In each of them, what we see if we look at Christ, kind of observe the subtle pattern underneath his response to the tempter, we observe a profound confidence in the Father. That as it were, Christ's heart through the temptations, Christ's heart while he's in the desert, is inclined toward the Father with a profound confidence. This is often where we go wrong when we confront the tempter. That when we experience temptation or accusation or thoughts about our unworthiness or brokenness that can't seem to be overcome, we tend to fixate on 
what the accuser is saying to us or what we're hearing ourselves say as we accept and embrace the lies that come about from brokenness. And as we fixate on the lures or the snares of the enemy, they become bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like they grow roots and begin to, to put out branches. They, they, they grow up into this mighty weed that is terrifying and begins to choke us. Christ doesn't fixate on what the tempter offers him. He offers a simple rebuke in the name of Jesus. We can do the same thing, announcing some great truth that is revealed to us by the Father. And Christ, as he does this, we notice he just kind of has his heart tilted toward the Father. He's less concerned for this agitating black fly, this annoying weed, this little obstacle. And he's more concerned for the promises that he knows are his as a perfect beloved son of the Father. What's beautiful to ponder is all those promises are ours. And of course, the enemy of our souls hates that we have received this heavenly inheritance, hates that we are sharers in the victory won by Christ Jesus, hates that we could worship God in spirit and in truth, that we don't have to worship ourselves or lesser creatures. We don't have to provide for ourselves. And so the pattern that Christ encounters is a pattern that we all will encounter over and over and over again, which is an attack on our relationship with the Father, an attack on our confidence in the Father, and an attack on our ability to stay in that confidence. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When we encounter the tempter during Lent, which we will if it's a good Lent, what we notice there is an affirmation, a confirmation that we're on good track, that we actually are moving toward this return. In that moment, we lean back upon the Lord, we celebrate his victory over the tempter, we call out his name, we look more to the things of God than to the temptations themselves. We don't let ourselves become fixated and we stand afresh time after time after time in the victory that Christ has won for us, which fortifies us for the future against temptation's return and it assures us that we are sharing in the victory of Christ here and now who engaged the tempter, and that engagement marks the pattern of every Lent ever since. And so it's worth our prayer this week to, to ponder the ways that we've experienced the goodness of the Father in our own lives. Times where we've just known God to, to show up, to, to arrive when we needed Him, to protect us from things that seemed insurmountable, to speak some great truth into places where we felt like we were stuck in the darkness or our lives were drying up. So we need to store up a pretty uh, strong, uh, let's call it a wealth, uh, a stockpile of, of awareness of the way that God has provided for us so we can return to that in confidence, so we can lean back on what we know of God, that when the tempter comes, it's just not as annoying as it used to be. It doesn't quite have the same seductive sway because we know better. We know the truth, which sets us free as Jesus says. And the truth is that God has made us, he's provided for us, he's coming to us constantly with his gifts and graces to, to draw us out of uh, any kind of agreement with the tempter who only wishes to destroy.